Welcome to the Critical Care Obstetrics Podcast. My name is Julie Arafay, Simulation Director at Clinical Concepts in Obstetrics. The topic for discussion today is disaster preparation for OB units, and my guest is Dr. Kay Daniels. Dr. Daniels is a clinical professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Stanford University School of Medicine. She's also the co-director of disaster planning for the Johnson Center for Pregnancy and Newborn Services and is chair of the Maternal Infant Disaster Planning Collaborative, MIDPC. I would like to add that Kay and I worked together in the OB-SIM group at Packard Children's Hospital for many years. She's a detail-oriented person and a simulation expert, so I can't think of a better person to develop a disaster plan for an OB unit. Welcome, Kay. Thanks, Julie. (laughs) There have been so many natural disasters that have occurred even in the last several months, but you have been doing this for years now. So I wanna start the discussion with what prompted your interest in disaster preparation? Well, let me just, besides thanking you, I want to thank you for your interest in this area that has just not gotten enough um, attention. And thank you for doing this podcast, too. Oh, of course. I mean, I, I can't imagine that most units in the United States it seems like every every area of the country is being hit by something. So I think a disaster plan is important for everyone. Yeah, I can't agree more. And for me, it started from a very personal experience back in 2010. There was a power outage at Stanford Hospitals. A private plane had crashed into the local transformer, sadly killing everybody on board the plane. And it caused a widespread power outage throughout the city of Palo Alto and both of the hospitals at Stanford, the Children's Hospital and the Adult Hospital. At the time, I was in the main OR and I was just about to start a hysterectomy. My patient had just gotten intubated and all the lights went out. And the OR had a plan. They immediately ran around and told all of us who hadn't already started to wait. And we stood in the OR in the dark for a bit, and then the generator came on. And they said, anybody who hasn't started need to return their patients back to recovery room, which we did. I then ran up to labor and delivery to see how I could help. Because as you know, maybe in the general OR you can stop a case, but in a, with a laboring patient, you certainly can't. So, no. <laughs> right. So I asked the charge nurse, you know, what was the plan for this emergency? And her response was chilling. She said, we have no plan. So we did our best, what we could on the fly. We stopped all elective inductions. We discharged the stable postpartum patients. Uh, But there were gaps in our response because right now we're just working off the red plugs off a generator. So what were we gonna do about fetal monitoring? Would our generators hold? So we started looking around and thought, okay, let's run over to clinic across the street and get the Doptones. We will use the Doptones. So we ran across the street and found that our Doptones were all chained to the exam beds in the clinic to avoid theft. Luckily, our generator held. Though, as we all know, if you look at disasters, there are hospitals where the generators do not last. Either they get flooded or their fuel is lost. But for us, we had our red plugs for all those vital things that we needed, and we were able to give the right care. 
But as the saying goes, luck is not a plan. So after that experience, a group of us got together and started planning for future disasters that we know were coming. Yeah. So the team got together. Who who was on the team? Who did you bring in to to how, what who composed the team? Well, all of us on L&D know that it's a team sport. So mm. it has to be a multidisciplinary team. We needed representation from everyone to really get the best view of what could go wrong. So we had OB, we had nursing, we had OB anesthesia, we had nursing management. We brought in the Office of Emergency, of emergency um, Preparedness, so you'll all have an Office of, of Emergency um, OEM in your hospital. Management. Office management, thank you. Office of yeah. Emergency Management, <laughs> not Office of Emergency Medicine. Office of Emergency Management. And initially, we also included our clerical staff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's important. So when you were working on these disaster plans and implementation, what, what are some of the things that you learned that you weren't aware of before? Well, what we learned quickly is how little is known about how to best manage disasters in an OB unit in any of the disaster literature. One of my OEM friends explained it to me. She's a disaster planner. She's been doing this for years. And she said it's because there's faulty reasoning in the disaster world. Their reasoning is that birth is a natural, normal process and therefore does not need the preparations that are made for, say, an ICU patient. Oh my gosh. But for, I know, but those for all of us doing obstetrics, you know, this is wholly untrue. A patient with severe preeclampsia is as complicated, potentially more threatening, life threatening than a medical patient because the status of the disease can change so quickly. So it brought home to us, um, we know, but general disaster planners do not, that OB is unique and a very complex medical environment. So to emphasize that, think about the obstetric ward. We have a footprint in our ward that, that has so much different acuity than any place else in the hospital. So where the OEM office is planning pretty much the same kind of evacuation or um, surge for a medical floor because the patients all look pretty much the same. That's absolutely not true for us. The vast variety of acuity in our unit cannot be overstated. You might have a severe preeclamptic with HELP syndrome and a recent massive postpartum hemorrhage, both of which will need critical care unit. LND also acts like an ER, so there's something walking in the door that you have to handle. And of course, we have an OR and a PACU to plan for. We're the only ward in the hospital on top of all that where we have to consider a plan in a disaster for all that acuity. And on top of that, we have to plan for a healthy person who can walk out the door with their baby. So that range of acuity is not clear to most of the disaster um, management people in most hospitals. So we started planning for all these extremes. Um, and then, of course, I don't have to tell this audience, but 
besides the range of acuity, we also have the very, very unique challenge of caring for more than one patient at a time. And so what does that mean? Well, integral for, for planning for the dyad is being able to recognize without any pre-planning for where we transfer a pregnant or postpartum woman during a disaster, things may go terribly long, wrong, <clears throat> like what happened to Katrina. Uh. In the days after Hurricane Katrina struck Louisiana, there were 125 critically ill newborns, 154 pregnant women, pregnant people who were evacuated. But some of these dyads were at least 10 days before they reunited. This separation is not only emotionally devastating, but has real health con consequences for breastfeeding and infant well-being. But the challenge of keeping the pair together, it's not simple, it's not trivial. And at this point, few in operations are going to be thinking of this. But those of us in obstetrics need to be advocating for our patients in this regard. I was not even aware that mothers and infants were separated when they got evacuated for Katrina. Yeah. Oh my and goodness. I mean, I think it's just a very difficult situation. And when there's emergencies like that, people are scrambling. Mm -hmm. And unless there's a pre-plan in place on consciously keeping these dyads together, it's going to get lost. So it sounds like it's somewhat complicated. Do you, do you plan for a specific disaster or do you try to figure out what disaster is most likely to hit your unit? Is it general planning? What did you guys do? Well, when you, when you think of natural disasters, we think generally in terms of where we live. So the coastal areas think of hurricanes and flooding, Central Plains, think of tornadoes. Those of us living in a seismic active area, think of earthquakes. And don't forget, there's also man-made disasters, bombings, fires, electrical outages, cyber attacks, and increasingly, sadly, um, active shooters. Mm -hmm. So your question is well taken. How do you choose? Well, one approach in deciding where to start is to involve your Office of Emergency Management, the OEM office, and ask them what is their HVA list for your hospital. So HVA stands for Hazard Vulnerability Assessment. That's something that every hospital has to do yearly. They look at all the potential hazards for your hospital, rank them as to the number one being the one they're most worried about. So they've done the work for you, and it's very specific for your hospital and your region. Start with them, and then start thinking how that's number one or two or three will affect your unit and what you can do to mitigate these effects. I'll give you a couple real-world examples uh, about how pre-planning and understanding your unit can help. The Tubbs Fire um, in Santa Rosa, California in 2017 caused two major hospitals, full-service hospitals, to have to evacuate at 3.35 in the morning. Within three hours, the hospital, one hospital had to evacuate 120 patients to other facilities, and this included a newborn nursery. 
So they had to start moving patients with the flames licking at their doorstep. Now, remember that all newborns have safety, bags on, safety bands on their legs to avoid abductions. So people weren't really thinking about that and the nurses gathered up the newborn babies quickly to start moving them and they didn't remove these bands. Well, what happened is the alarm started sounding and the elevator shut down. Oh my so God. now here they are trying to move 122 patients without an elevator. So understand ahead of time, something like that, how do your newborn safety bands work? It may eliminate an unnecessary, unnecessary challenge when a disaster occurs. Gosh. You know, that's <laughs> those are the things that you're only going to find in simulation. Honestly, right. how can you think about all of those little tiny details that are going to trip you up in, in the actual event? Yeah. And, and things like what we're doing now is because of something that happened in Oregon a few months ago. Uh, what would you do with an active shooter in your unit? Well, first off, you're supposed to run. But does everybody know where all the exits are, where the alternative exits are out of the OR? So we're going to walk our people through our unit, through the run-hide um, fight scenario, starting with the run, making sure everybody understands where all the exits and alternative exits are. Then if you're in the need to hide, um, you know, patient rooms don't, there's no locks on those doors. Yeah. But it turns out if you take a patient bed, place it against the door and lock the wheels, it's actually a very good barricade. Oh, that's a so great we're tip. going to, yeah, so it's things like that, that you can train to and equip your people to, to be ready for. Um, we did a walkthrough for power outage and we brought in our electrical engineers, our, we brought in everybody we could think of. And they helped us look in every room about what would fail with a power outage with or without um, the generator working. And one of the things that really became clear was our OmniCell, our medication dispenser. It's got a 30 minute battery on it and it is plugged into the generator. But if that fails, how are you going to get medications? So we ended up talking to pharmacy. We gave them a list of medications uh, that we would need right away. And they are in the process of providing a pallet of essential meds, say, for the first 12 hours that we would need. So it's that sort of active management of disaster planning, which I would really encourage people to do. You know, it, it almost, I know a lot of people spend a lot of time working on simulation and just preparing for the, the really ill OB patient. This sounds like it could be a full-time job in and of itself for at least a short period of time. Well, there, there are some materials out there that people can access to get their units ready. Um, uh, your Office of Emergency Management, you've got to work with them. They're great. They have a great fund of knowledge. You have to engage your hospital administrators. 
and they need to understand that OB is different. Um, so there's some education required on our part. Um, and there's some resources, there's some tools out there. Um, Stanford has, we've created a list of tools on our website under disaster planning, uh, which people are welcome to look at. And this other group I'm working with, the MIDC, is a group of obstetricians and neonatologists and pediatricians. And we're trying to put, create a playbook that hopefully will be available within a year that will provide guidance for OB and newborn units um, on different levels. So there are things out there to help you get started, but we really need to advocate for our patients because most of the disaster world and your hospital administrators don't understand it. Mm -hmm. um, and so we really need to take the time to do it because there's, there's so much to be done in the arena of disaster planning. And we need a national plan for pregnant women and their newborns. Essentially, we can neither predict, but we cannot prevent disasters. But I'm hoping we can prepare for them now before they happen. Definitely. Um, this, is, this has been uh, kind of eye-opening for me. I've been in OB for years and didn't think about some of these, the implications of trying to, for instance, get neonates out of the unit and having the elevator stop. Oh my gosh. So do you have any other tips or lessons learned that you would give to OB units developing disaster plans? First and foremost, don't go it alone. Um, there's a lot of work to be done. You need everybody's view on this. So having a multidisciplinary group, it includes someone for OEM, is really important. Having somebody from management that can make those changes, um, I would start there. Then I would start with the easy stuff. There are easy things to do. Get your disaster box together. Look and create, if you don't have one, create a disaster box that has things like flashlights and headlamps and even tourniquets. So think about what your disaster box should look like. Um, start looking at some of the forms. And so there's sort of a, you can do it step by step. Start easy, start engaging people. You also need to identify how to call people in a disaster. The nurses often have already a telephone tree of some kind where they can call people, but the docs usually don't. So I think you have to see who in your group would be committed to coming in if there was a disaster and then start training them. So there's, there's a lot that you can do from the start that's, that isn't too complicated. And then you can reach out and get some of these other tools. Um, and go to the next level, which will be simulating, walking through the unit, and then ultimately training with simulation disasters. That, that's great information. I, I know when something seems overwhelming to me, taking it step by step makes it much easier to tackle. <laughs> so yeah. I, think, I think that is great, great advice. Uh, any final thoughts that you have? Um, 
people are welcome to contact me uh, if they want some more information or if they want to be part of this group that we have going. Um, I'm happy to engage any and all because disaster looks different across the country and we need everybody's input. Um, it's also important that we have regional disaster plans because if your hospital goes down, you want to have a good relationship with that hospital next door, but mm. also the hospital in the next state if something happens. So we need to not work in silos for disaster planning. We need to start thinking about ourselves, then our region, and then nationally. So yeah. engaging as many people as we can is, is my goal at this point. Yeah, and, and I think knowing what's out there in your area, I know when I used to do perinatal outreach in Tennessee, we had weekly, not weekly, um, quarterly, or quarterly or annual meetings with TEMA, which was the Tennessee version of FEMA. And there were plans in place for certain of the high risk disasters that might occur. So there may be more out there in your area that you're aware of, but I certainly think it would, it would be good for everyone in any kind of a leadership position or who's interested in disaster preparation to understand what is out there in your state and what's currently being planned for and how can you, you know, like you said, Kay, how can you make sure that they're taking into account the unique mother baby uh, dyad that that we're used to taking care of in OB? Exactly. That's interesting. So Tennessee did have some kind of good disaster planning set up. They had disaster planning um, when when I did outreach when I was in the outreach department. Gosh, that was back in the 90s. Um, we met with the four major referral centers in the state and there were plans in place in case one area was hit with a disaster where patients would go. Um, but I don't know that there was this consideration and I can't, I just can't speak to it about keeping mothers and babies together. Um, I just, I guess I just assumed that would happen, but that's not a good assumption when you've got a, a really ill neonate and a very ill mother. It's, it's probably, they are probably not going to be going or may not go to the same, same place. So I, I think it's important to kind of reach out and see what what is out there, what is being planned on a state level. And I'm sure the Office of Emergency Management would have an idea at or at least a a plan of how to get a hold of those people. And, I, you know, I'm sure that would be a great way to connect and see what's going on in your state. I'll tell you, one of the states that I've heard about that has best practices um, I work with uh, uh, MFM Carrie Epps, who's in Texas, and they have done an incredible job of regionalizing their perinatal population for disasters. I think they're a, a model for many of our other states to understand how to transport patients on a regional and statewide 
basis. I'd really mm -hmm. like to see that that replicated in other places. Yeah, I worked for a short time in Texas, and they have when you when you work there, you have are you the pre hurricane team, the hurricane team, or the post hurricane team? <laughs> so they they have things, uh, and I'm not sure I'm I'm representing that uh, as as distinctly as they do it because I I was not working in Texas for a long period of time, but I know that they actively plan for hurricanes and flooding, which, um, I, you know, if you're in an area, who knows who's going to be prone to flooding anymore, that that information that they have worked out is probably going to be very helpful to everyone. So I think it's really great that there's this um, maternal infant disaster planning collaborative and um, that people are getting together and talking about these things. So what works well in one state can can be adapted for another state without starting from the very beginning. Exactly, exactly. We, we're stronger together or smart. And there's nobody as, what's the saying? Um, many people are smarter than a single person or yeah. yeah. The more people, the better. Yeah. Thinking about the subject. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your time and your expertise in disaster planning with us, Kay. And thanks to the audience for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. You can learn more about our company at www.clinicalconceptsnob.com. You can also follow us on our Facebook page, Clinical Concepts and Obstetrics, on Twitter at OB Critical Care, and on Instagram at CriticalCareOB. Email us or send us a direct message for suggestions on future podcasts. This podcast was produced by Austin Baird. Are you looking to create a podcast? Please email me at podcastnashville at gmail. That is podcastnashville at gmail.com.